Right. Welcome to episode 85 of From the Shed End with myself, T-Dart. Theo, how are you doing? Not bad, not bad. I'm feeling a bit better after the cold I had over the weekend, but I've still got a bit of a chesty cough. Um, made it to both the games, Chelsea Leeds and Chelsea Dortmund, and uh, played five-a-side footy um, right before Chelsea Dortmund as well. So three victories all in all for my five-a-side team and for Chelsea. So I think that explains the smile on my face right now. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. We're, up, we're on the up, we're on the up, so which is good. So I think... Um... Yeah, it's actually snowing pretty bad here. Like we've been we've been able to avoid it and now all of a sudden like the snow is coming down thick and fast. So um hopefully it doesn't delay any football, doesn't stop any football from taking place this weekend, especially for Chelsea, because we look like we're on the up. It looks like we're building a bit of momentum and unity, which we're gonna get onto. But um no, I'm good. I'm good. It's almost Friday. It feels weird it's not Friday and we're recording, but it is what it is. Um for those that are new to this channel, new to the podcast, please go and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that link to link in the description as well. It takes all our episodes, um, previous ones that we've recorded and all our social accounts as well. And make sure you leave comments as well in the YouTube videos um, that we post up as well. I really appreciate all of that stuff. But Theo, let's take it all the way back to last weekend, which feels like a lifetime ago, but last weekend leads a nice little 1-0 marginal win. Uh, Wesley Fofana, the hero of the day. Um, take me back to, to your thoughts to the game um, against Leeds. Yeah, well, I think the most important important thing about the victory was it was a victory and it was three points. Um, it was, I want to say it was the prettiest of wins, 1-0, and um, we didn't create that many chances. I felt um, we were quite, we weren't clinical in that first half and remembering that Havertz one-on-one with um, Elan Melier, um, Jao Felix hitting the crossbar. Uh, we had plenty of chances, but we just won clinical and didn't take them. And it kind of felt like, oh gosh, it's going to go, you know, the same way as it did against Southampton and those other games. And I think I even texted you at halftime saying it's either going to end nil-nil or our Leeds are going to snatch a goal. But fortunately, we kept the clean sheet and we actually did score a goal. And it was a goal from a set piece. So I don't know if um, Chelsea and the squad have been listening to our podcast we recorded a few weeks ago about, you know, practicing set pieces at Cobham. But uh, yeah, Chilwell put in a good ball for Fafana and it was a brilliant header from um, Wesley Fafana who put it past the Ilan Melier. Um, so yeah, really pleased that it was three points. Like I said, it wasn't the prettiest of wins, but I think the most important thing is at this stage of the season is that it's three points. And I think it was really important to get that momentum and that kind of confidence and that boost going into the game on Tuesday. And I think that's what really helped us, I think, as well. Some of those players that maybe, um, that you know, especially for Fana, who uh, hasn't been playing a lot of football recently, getting 90 minutes under his belt against Leeds probably did set him in a good you know place to to play against Dortmund on Tuesday and again I thought he was brilliant in both those games um but yeah like I said not the prettiest of wins but three points and against a very poor team in my opinion and it would have been a real shame had we dropped any kind of points against them um, that lead side at Stanford Bridge but now hopefully we can just continue with that momentum and take it into three wins in a row on Saturday yeah it was a, it was an impressive win I think you know you look back to how uh, we've played even go go you know going back to Southampton that game that we we potentially should have easily won and we just struggled to to break them down and obviously a, a James Wall Prowse free kick was the the ultimate decider of that game but as as the game went on um against Leeds you just felt that we could get something out of it and you know that first half I think was very cagey um it was it was proven difficult for us to to break them down in spells and it did feel like almost a lot of the same as what we'd, we'd seen before from from Chelsea and, and the fact that we just don't take our chances. We might create a few, but we don't take them. And um, 
I mean, as we will talk about strikers later, but it just it still shows that we we are crying out for someone in that department that can finish goals, put goals in the back of the net. And, you know, credit to Wesley Fofana, like you said, someone who hasn't really um, had the best of starts at Chelsea, you know, he's obviously been injured and he's been in and out of the team as well, but he seems to be trying to cement himself as one of those recognised centre-backs at Chelsea now. But um, I was impressed, you know, I was impressed with how Graham Potter um, clearly got, got. Yeah, I mean, he needed that win. You know, we, we've all spoken about the pressure that Graham Potter's been under Um prior to the Leeds game and, and getting that getting those three points and, and turning out a result where it doesn't matter how you win as long as you get three points and, and if even if it's scrappy, even if you're you know you're, you're under the cosh for the last twenty minutes of the game. Um yeah, I mean I, I do have to question the subs. I mean I think I said it in my match um review. I think the the subs if I'm just trying to remember them now. So I think I think Dennis uh, Zakaria came on with Conor Gallagher, I think Zhao, Felix and Raheem Sterling came off. Um, Carney Chuk and Mekar came on for Kovacic. Enzo Fernandez came off at the 84th minute with with um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek for Trevor Chalaber and Noni Madweki. Uh, questionable subs. Um, and I want to talk about subs for the Dortmund game because I feel like Potter got that spot on in midweek. But I do have to question some of these sort of weird subs and Maybe Graham Potter was just still tinkering with the team. But like you said, you know, three points is three points. And um, let's talk, I mean, you know, let's talk about Graham Potter in that game because I feel like he had he lost that game, surely, you know, the axe would have been fully swung on him and it would probably would have been the end of him at, at Chelsea. But do you feel that the players knew that the pressure was on Potter? The players were under a, pres- a lot of pressure as well. Um, you know, the, the atmosphere that you've mentioned at Stamford Bridge, you know, prior to that game at Leeds has, has been you know, very toxic at times as well. But do you feel that going into that game, the atmosphere felt slightly different and obviously the players knew that Graham Potter needed to get that win. Do you feel that Kate gave the team something to go out and fight for? Definitely. There was that added pressure on both Graham Potter and the squad to actually perform and get the three points, especially given that the opposition haven't been performing well. They're, I think, bottom three now. Um, so it was almost like it felt like a must win. And, it, and I think it was even reported that Graham Potter would have been given that Leeds game and a Dortmund one to kind of save his job. So whether the players knew that or not, I'm sure it played a part in them getting the, the performance. Um, big shout out, I want to say, to the the back five. I thought the, the back three of um, Koulibaly, Badiashil and um, Wesley Fofana were brilliant, especially in the absence of Thiago Silva. And I thought, you know, there was no Reese James. We had him in our predicted lineups, but he was a doubt for the game in the end. And I thought Loftus-Cheek did a decent job at right wing back and he could de- definitely deputise there when he's needed. And I think Ben Chilwell, last two games, again, fantastic. He's really been, he, when he plays left wing back, he's got that freedom to really venture up the pitch and offer a support to um, to the more attacking players and probably our best player on set pieces. But yeah, I could just echo what you said about the substitutions. I thought Graham Potter didn't really get the subs right on the day. I felt um, a lot of people were complaining around me where I was sat that, you know, you're, you're playing Leeds who are bottom of the league. Bring on a Mudrik, bring on Bamiyang, bring on Madueke, you know, go for the second goal. But instead it just felt like Graham Potter was probably really nervous and wanted to secure the 1-0 win. Hence why he brought on Zakaria Gallagher. Um, I'm missing out, Chukin Weka. And yeah. he kind of, I think it was quite, we struggled, we struggled at times to work out what lineup he was playing because I think there were six midfielders on the pitch at one point. But yeah, I feel like you do that when you're maybe defending a big, you know, big lead in a Champions League and you can't really give it away. But not when it's a one 0 win at home against against Leeds. So yeah, I think subs were a bit off, and you know, the formation at times. I think we were, all our heads were scrambled to work out how, what type of formation we were playing. 
But I think over the last two games, I think Graham Potter just really wanted to focus on getting the wins and against Dortmund, especially the comeback and the two goals. And credit to him, he did that. So we could criticise the substitutions, but in the end, we got the three points. So that's what matters. Yeah, and and like you say, you know, scrappy or scrappy or not, you know, I think three points is what he needed, whether it was a, a, a resounding performance or whether it was just a, you know, over the line, you know, you just make it over the line and you're 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 coming off the pitch with the three points. It doesn't matter at the moment for Graham Potter or Chelsea or the Chelsea fans. I think three points is three points. But you made a good point about Fafana um, stepping in for Thiago Silva, who's still out injured with the, the injury that he picked up at Spurs. Um, I mean, he, he looks very comfortable. And I think when we, we talk about centre-backs and we you know we go back as far as, you know, we, ha- we haven't really replaced John Terry or Gary Cahill. We had Kurt Zuma at one point. Uh, Antonio Rudiger was in and out of the team, if you remember, under I think Frank Lampard and then came into the team and was probably our, arguably our best centre-back at one point, Christensen. I feel like we've we've solved that issue now. I feel like we've got, you know, you look at uh, Badi Ashil, you look at Wesley Fofana, you look at uh, Kulabali and obviously Thiago Silva, Trevor Chalab is still there, whether he goes in the summer or not is a different question. But Wesley Fofana, we know what he can do. He's prem proven, you know, he's pr- proven himself at Leicester prior to coming to, to Chelsea. Um, he looks comfortable. He looks really good on the ball. What, what's your thoughts on, on Wesley Fofana stepping into that role? Um, ultimately, at some point, we're going to have to, you know, ease and phase Thiago Silva out of the team, whether like it or not he's just not going to be able to play for the rest of his, his living days but um, what do you feel with Wesley Fofana do we feel like we've got someone in there that is comfortable and, and, and um, you know able to play with, within a back four or a back five if it needs to be I think he's a brilliant player really really brilliant player I think a lot of Chelsea fans probably when we looked at our summer signings we almost forgot about him because he hasn't played a single game since October and I think the, the start against Leeds was his first start since October as well because he came off the be- off the bench against Southampton and Spurs when um as Biliqueta and Thiago Silva got injured. So, um, and to actually perform the way he's done, having not you know made a start since October is brilliant, brilliant. And credit to him for doing that. And um, we spent a lot of money on him. We have to remember that. We signed him from Leicester in the summer. So I think there's obviously plans for him to be the, the, big, the successor to Thiago Silva going in the next maybe two to three years. And I think we've got ourselves a brilliant player, a really good player. He looks really comfortable on the ball. I think his aerial ability is great from set pieces as well. He looks very mature as well on the pitch. Um, I know you've got to remember he's still very young. Yeah. Um, I think it was Gary Lineker who recently said um, when Chelsea signed him from Leicester, he was almost praising the, um, the acquisition, saying that Chelsea have got themselves a very, very special player. And, you know, a player that will be there for the you know next 10 years. So um, I think Gary Lineker, who knows Leicester probably better than anyone else as well, would have watched him, you know, all the Leicester games. So I think it's coming from someone who, who knows what they're saying. Um, but yeah, like you also said, he looks comfortable in a back two, um, whether he's playing alongside a Koulibaly, a Biadishil or a Thiago Silva in a back two, but I think in a back three, even more so. Um, like I said, against Dortmund, he was um, he played in a back three again, uh, alongside Thiago Silva, um, Thiago Silva, Koulibaly and, um, and Biadishil. And both those players are relatively new to Chelsea. Let's be honest, they're not, they, they, we bought them in in the summer, Biadishil in January. And Fafana probably, you know, would have took on maybe the role of the leader being, you know, maybe the best English speaker amongst the three of them. But, but yeah, I think he looks really mature on it for his age. And I think if we can get him to play another year alongside Thiago Silva next season, I think he'll learn so much, but I'm really looking forward to seeing him. And I think, like you said, um, if he continues to progress like this can stay clear of injuries as well, because we do know he doesn't have the best of injury records. Then I think it's definitely um, a bright player we've got ourselves and hopefully can, 
live up in the footsteps of a Thiago Silva, John Terry, Cahill, Ivanovic, Carvalho, and all the rest of our great centre backs. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely a good. Um, so it, I know we've spoke about Graham Potter and the squad that he's got, but it's definitely a good headache for Graham Potter to have because if you look at the the luxury, I mean, even again, we're going to talk about Dortmund um, soon, but in terms of Kukurea playing as a left centre-back, he looked very comfortable. So there's options for Graham Potter in those departments in terms of who do you play. You know, he, And this is why I go back to the whole tactical thing of, you know, if something isn't working in-game, change it. And you've got the options to do that. I mean, if we needed to drop back to, a, you know, three centre-backs with the wing-backs or revert to a back four with two centre-backs, we've got the option. We've got the luxury of so many options in those areas. And even like you just mentioned, you know, injuries. You know, you look at Thiago Silva, he's at the team, you know, maybe last season we would have completely lost him. You know, if we, we didn't have um, the likes of Adia Shiel, we didn't have the likes of Wesley Fofana in the team or Koulibaly, you know, we would have been, you know, ripped apart maybe against Dortmund had we not had someone like Wesley Fofana that could step in and do that job. So I think it's definitely someone that has a bright future. I think he's only 23, I think maybe 23. So yeah, around that age, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got a bright future ahead of him and, you know, Todd Bowley's one of these owners that seems to want to lock down players to very lengthy contracts as well. So, you know, I think it's only a good thing if we can keep him injury-free, like you said, and we can build around him and and learn off someone like Thiago Silva, learn off Koulibaly, who again, you know, back end of his career at 31. I think it's a it's a no-brainer to use him, Badia Shield, maybe even, again, you know, if Trevor Chalibur does go on loan next season or, you know, he, he ultimately leaves the club, which I hope he doesn't, but if he goes on loan, he can come back and step in and learn off, you know, Wesley Fofana, you can learn off Badia Shaw when he comes back into the team as well. But it's a good headache for, for Graham Potter. It's a great, great headache for, for Chelsea. Um, it's one area that we've definitely neglected, I think, over the years. And we allowed, you know, Christensen and Rudiger both to leave on, on um, you know, one that, once their contracts ended. It was it was inevitable. We had to address that issue. We've done that. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. You know, I think Fofana is, is probably, hopefully, the future of Chelsea at centre-backs. But, Let's move on to Dortmund because I was, I mean, uh, this is probably the best part of the week so far, if I'm honest. Um, for once, I called it right in terms of predictions. I was very optimistic. I think I was probably one of very few Chelsea fans that thought we were going to score two goals against Dortmund. Um, I was impressed. I was so, I mean, I'm going to go out there and say this is probably the best performance bar AC Milan, but this is the best performance under Graham Potter I think we got to see. Um Give, give me your thoughts. Give me initial thoughts on the lineup. Give me, was you surprised to see Kukurea as a, cent, a left centre back? Was you um, surprised to not see Mudrik in the team, which I think was one of the massive question marks? But what was your thoughts initially on the lineup when you was announced and um, obviously the, the atmosphere before the game as well? Yeah, I think let's start with the lineup. I thought um, a couple of surprises maybe. I think in my predicted lineup, I had um, Ch- Chalibur alongside um, Kulabali and Wesley Fafana in a back three. But clearly, I think Potter going for Cucurella, who's not a natural centre-back, more of a left-back, um, goes to show that maybe he doesn't have much faith or trust in Chalabar at the moment, or he wants to give him a bit of time outside the limelight. But credit to Cucurella, he was fantastic on the night. So clearly, um, Potter selecting him, it, it worked out in the end. Um, other surprise was maybe Madrick. He hasn't really featured as much recently. Um, but I think it makes sense, given that um, you know Havertz, what he offers as a striker, he's our, Potter recently said that he's our, our new penalty taker as well. Um, 
he's good with his hold up play as well. And obviously he got his goal on the night from the penalty spot. So I think his selection was justified as well, but not seeing Madrid come off the bench was a bit of a surprise in my opinion. I maybe we'll, we'll touch um, on that in a bit, but lineup otherwise, I think was pretty self-explanatory. Uh, if, if James and Chilwell are both fit, then they both start as the wing backs in my opinion. And Kovacic was captain on the night, pass the armband to Kepa, who both players for me were fantastic. Um, atmosphere, I'm going to say it was the best atmosphere of the season at Stamford Bridge. It really, really was. Um, it just had that sense of one of those special European nights about it, where even from before the before kickoff, the fans believed that something could happen. Um, you know, it felt like we really played our role as the 12th man that night. And uh, uh, Dortmund fans, they're good, they're, they're noisy, but I felt like the Chelsea fans rightfully so on the night because we, we, out, we outnumbered them and we were more vocal and noisy than them. But... Um, but yeah, the atmosphere was fantastic before the game, during the game, after the game. Um, and I thought the performance was exactly what we needed. It really was exactly what we needed. Um, first leg back in Dortmund in February, Dortmund were there for the taking. They really were. We were the better side of the 90 minutes. So I kind of felt like if we play like that again and maybe have a bit of chance on our side, a bit of luck on our side, we could beat them. We can. And my one worry was scoring two goals, but credit to to Sterling and Havertz, they got the goals and we kept the clean sheets. And Dortmund, let's be honest, apart from maybe the two Kepa saves, it never really properly troubled us. Bellingham had that big chance where she scuffed and um, put it wide from uh, of the post, but they never properly troubled us. Um, and yeah, players that I thought we've, Chelsea fans have been a bit critical of this season, maybe rightfully so, because they haven't really stepped up to the occasion. Koulibaly, Kukurella and Kai Havertz, I thought on a night they were fantastic. They really were. And I think sometimes the praise should be as loud as the criticism because on the night they were really, really good. And I really hope, um, also Graham Potter, he's received a lot of criticism, but I thought substitutes, lineups, tactics, passion he showed on the sideline as well. It was all done. It's what you want to see from your manager. So all four of those um, players and coaches I thought were fantastic. And um, I really, really hope that that can be a turning point in our season. We've got two wins in a row which is the first time we've done that since October. Doesn't sound like a lot, does it? But <laughs> Yeah, but it's, I mean, like, it's baby steps, baby steps. But yeah, yeah, first yeah. time since October, we've got two wins in a row. And that was Dortmund's first defeat of 2023. Yeah. So um, we made it look relatively easy, but we have to remember this Dortmund side has been unbeaten and it's gone on a crazy you know, win streak in 2023. So there, there are no mugs in a way. And we, we made it, we, made, we were the better team. Um, you go back to that first half, all those chances we had in the first half, the Sterling chances, even the Havertz chance, yeah, he was offside, but it was a brilliant, brilliant finish um, off the crossbar and in, in the goal. Um, uh, but yeah, overall, a really positive performance. I can just echo what you said, probably our best performance of the season or under Graham Potter, um, maybe tired of that AC Milan 3-0 um, back in October. Yeah, it was, a, I mean, it was, a, I mean, you know, I think it was needed. I think the fans, like, like I've said before, have been definitely rightfully as well have been heavily heavily critical of the team Graham Potter um, you know you, you booze have rang out at half time or during the game or after the game you know players have headed down a tunnel as opposed to coming to applaud the fans and I think it needed that that switch something needed to change whether it was the fans being the 12th man or you know Graham Potter having his sort of team huddle before the game whatever it was you know during, during the training session but something changed something happened um, and Dortmund's like you said you know you got to remember Dortmund in that first leg were not electrifying you know I think it was just one mistake I think we left Enzo Fernandez 1v1 with Adeyemi who clearly was going to win that race in terms of you know and Kepa couldn't bring him down he would have got sent off we would have had Kepa in this in this um, second leg as well so 
you know, Dortmund weren't amazing in that first leg. And that was the only thing that kept me going, thinking, if we get an early goal, if we get the first goal, as long as we don't concede first, I thought if we don't concede first and we score first, the pressure's on Dortmund. The pressure's always going to... And I don't think they've got the best um, away record in uh, England anyway, or in Europe. I think they, they, the European away record isn't as good as at home. I know they've had a really good run in the Bundesliga. I think it's 10 wins or maybe 11 wins on, on, a, on a trot, but... They were missing some key players, we have to be honest. You know, Kobol being out for them in goal, Adeyemi being out. I think they lost Brandt very early into the game as well. So I think that changed things for them. That would have changed the whole dynamic of what they wanted to do. But I think we, I think, like like you mentioned, you know, the back three in terms of um, Wesley Fofana, Kulabali and Kukurea kept Sebastian Haller quiet. I mean, he didn't have a shot on target. He didn't have a shot off target. He didn't really make any any noise up front. Um, we nullified anything that they tried to do going forward. And one of the things that I was really happy that Graham Potter done, and and maybe, you know, I think I had a, I think I had a back four in my lineup. I think I went with four, three, and then the three up front. But I think what Graham Potter done, and he got it spot on, was the three centre-backs. It allowed Reese James and Ben Chilwell, and you mentioned Ben Chilwell, to fly forward, get forward. Every opportunity we had the ball, we were flying forward. If we lost possession, if you notice how quickly, you know, Reese James and Chilwell were back, and it was a flat, almost a flat, five at the back, you know, you had Kovacic and Enzo just sitting just in front of him, compact, kept our shape. And it was just brilliant to see, you know, it's one of those things that tactically when you get it right, you get to see on, on the day. But um, I have to echo what you said about Kai Havertz and, um, you know, Raheem Sterling, Kepa, Koulibaly, Kukurea, you know, all of those players that at some point this season have all been criticised. And even during the game, you know, I had people criticising Sterling to me and then, I might have said, I think during the game, you know, we're not going to win this game if we don't put these chances away, if we don't score. Um, but I thought Sterling was brilliant, you know, and he's going to be offside, you know, more times than not if he's playing off the last defender, which he was, you know, he was, I mean, he's got to time his runs better. He's got to bend those runs slightly better, but, you know, he's playing off the last defender. It's going to happen. Uh, eventually, he's, he's, you know, he's going to be offside a few times. And I thought he was brilliant. I thought Kai Havertz, um, I mean, I, I didn't have him to start, I'll be honest. I would have played Jao Felix as a, a false nine. But like you said, you know, when Graham Potter comes out and says he's our designated penalty taker, ultimately he's going to be on the pitch. He's going to be starting the game. Um, and I thought he'd done really well. You know, I thought Kai Havertz done really well. Um, Kokorea as a left centre-back worried me before kickoff. I'll be honest, I thought, if you remember back to the game, I, I can't remember what game it was. I feel like it was, it might have been Brighton. Was it Brighton he played left centre-back? I'm not sure. It was I'm a not game. Sure I, I know yeah. he hasn't played a single game, a minute of football since West Ham, which was mid-February time. So I think West Ham, then. that's what worried me for me is he hasn't, he hasn't played football for nearly a month. Yeah, there was a game he played left centre back and he was awful. And I think he got subbed off. He was that bad. He was just he got hooked maybe at half time or just after half time. But he done really well and he looked he looked comfortable. Um, surprising not to see Mudrick in the team. I'll be honest, I think that would have been a, a game that I potentially would have liked to have seen Mudrick. But again, in hindsight, the best team that was out there was the team that won us the game. Mm. Um, I want to talk to you about the penalty because I, I was a bit confused when it happened. Um, initially, let's let's get your answer first. Was it handball? I don't know if you've got to see it back. Um, but was it handball? That's the first part of the question. And the second part is the encroachment of, of players. I, I, I don't know how it works because Chelsea players were also in the boxes before the, the, the penalty was taken. So how does it work? And I think you said to me, had he scored, would they have asked him to take it again? It's it's a it's a weird rule. 
Yeah, well, first, answer the first question. Was it a penalty? 100%. 100%. If you look at his, how his body turns, is he's not even looking at the ball, but leaves his hand trailing away from his body. And you all have, you just have to think is the, the trajectory of the ball would, you know, he's blocking the trajectory of the ball. And had his hand not been there, that's a ball in the box that could potentially be a goal. But it's the fact that he doesn't even make an effort to keep his hand close to his body and he turns away from it as well. So I think um, the pundits after the game explained and were all in agreement that it was a penalty. Um, in terms of the retake, um, maybe a bit of luck on our side. But I think what really made the referee, influence the referee's decision to, to you know, let have us retake the penalty was because the player who cleared the ball after yeah. it came off the post he was, in the was a good couple of yards inside the, the half circle, whatever you call it basically the, the zone of the box um, after the, the referee um, blew the whistle. So, um, so if the rules, the rules are the rules and if those are the rules, then, um, then yeah, it's a retake, but I can, ima- I can, I can see why Dortmund fans were frustrated because you do wonder had he scored would it, and Chelsea players were in the box, would they have let him retake it? Probably not. Um, uh, probably um, not, you know, so it's a weird rule and we don't see, you know, referees kind of enforce that rule very often, especially not in the Premier League, but it seems that Champions League referees at least are a lot more disciplined. They're more willing to go see, look at the monitor. They're more willing to let decisions go to VAR. They're more willing to talk to their fourth official or the, whoever's in the, 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 the what do you ever call them? Those um, technology VAR. rooms, VAR yep. rooms. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we need to see more now, more communication, more kind of these rules being enforced because uh, you look back, I think back, I think it was 2019 um, when Manchester United got that um, comeback against PSG at the Parc des Princes yeah. uh, and Rashford scored that last minute penalty. They're not giving that as a penalty in the Premier League. I think the player is kind of, I think it was Kim Pembe who puts his hand like this. You see a lot more handballs given in the, in the Champions League, Champions than, League. Uh, than the Premier no. League. So, and I'm all for it, honestly. I think if the rules are there, then let them kind of go ahead with them. Um, but yeah, keen to hear what your thoughts were on the penalty and the encroachment and the retake. I think, uh, I mean, I think it was harsh. I, I do. And I, I think it was a penalty. I think it was, and, and it was rightfully given. But I do think it was a little bit harsh and I need to re-watch it again. I've only watched it twice. I watched it live and then I watched it, um, the full match again the day after. But, um, I think it was slightly harsh, but at the same time as well, I think I said on the, the match review, you know, you think back to Reese James at Anfield, you know, you think back to some of the decisions that have gone against us where clearly, you know, uh, going back to the FA Cup final a couple of years ago as well. So things have gone against us and, and sometimes when VAR is on your side, you just have to, to just roll with it and just, just take it that it's the VAR's decision. And I think whenever the ref's been sent to the monitor, you know, 99% of the time, it's a penalty. You know, they don't, they don't send them there unless there's a reason. So um, I, I do think it was slightly harsh, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to take it. If it means we get through to the last eight and we're in the quarterfinals, I'm going to take it 100%. But I'd be annoyed if it was the other way around and, and that was, you know, one of our Chelsea defenders and it, it we were almost robbed of a goal to an extent. But in terms of the encroachment, I just don't know. I don't know the rules and, and I, I don't get it. I think I, now you've mentioned it and maybe I didn't pick this up watching it but yeah if the player that clears the ball is in the in the box before the ball's been kicked then yeah that makes complete does complete sense but I just think there needs to be a bit more clarity or you know I love what they do in rugby where you can actually hear the conversation that's going on um and I think cricket does the same now I think you know when the umpires are, are looking for an LBW cricket you can hear um, the conversation that's happening and I think football needs that I think it just needs to maybe give a bit more clarity as to what they're reviewing what they're looking at what is the concerns 
and maybe just maybe it will leave less room for interpretation that way as well. So, um, but look, penalties are penalties. Um, Kai Havertz had my heart in my mouth at one point. I think, you know, the first one, it was almost Jorginho-esque, wasn't it? I think he tried to... Mm, the um, little stutter. Uh, I think it was that yeah. little stutter before he he kicked it. Yeah, he had he me tried, a bit nervous. Yeah, He tried to outdo the goalkeeper and he did, to be fair, he did. I mean, let's be honest, I think he, he did do... He, brilliant penalty just was unfortunate to ricochet outside of the post and and back out but to do it again to step up again and do the same thing pick the same spot I mean that takes I mean that that is ice in your veins sort of stuff but um what's your thoughts on because I don't think we spoke about it what's your thoughts on Kai Havertz being the designated penalty taker um it's one of those for me that sort of sits on the fence a little bit I mean Reese James we know can take a good penalty um he hasn't taken many but Kai Havertz I I don't know what's your thoughts yeah, I'm a bit of a bit in agreement with you. Um, I mean, I always look at players' kind of penalty record. You look at, you know, the likes of Jorginho, the likes of Lampard, they probably got like an 80, 90% record when it came to taking penalties. But I think Havertz, from the penalties I remember him taking in the past, he scored the one in the Club World Cup final, that one as the Club World Cup against um, Palmeiras. Yeah. But before that, I remember him missing quite a poor one against Villarreal in the Super Cup. I think he might have missed one in the League Cup, whether it was against Southampton or Aston Villa in one of those shootouts um, mm-hmm. last season. So I don't think he's got the best of records. Um, I looked at his technique against Dortmund. It felt like he was relying on where the keeper was going to dive rather than having kind of that spot fixed in his head before he even placed the ball, which I'm not too sure about because that little stutter basically determines where he's going to place the, the, the ball. Similar to Jorginho, he looks at how the keeper moves right, right before he's about to shoot. Um, but like you said, um, to have the confidence to place it exactly in the same spot and actually get it this time shows um, the type of player he is, the confidence he has, um, especially a lot of players maybe having missed the first one, they would have maybe passed the ball on to Jao Felix, Raheem Sterling or another player. Yeah. But to actually pick the ball up again and kind of what would have was the winning goal in the end is very brave of him. And I think the fact that he's willing to do that could, shows that he should be our penalty taker and I think maybe now that he's missed one um, and he scored on probably what was probably the most of, one of the most nerve-wracking penalties he's, he's probably would have taken um, I think it would do him a world of good so I'm hoping though, I'm hoping though that his next couple penalties will be a bit more reassuring because that's that uh, I'm not going to lie I was almost hiding behind the, the shed bar <laughs> that was in front of me um, but yeah I think um, I'm all for him taking a few more but I think um if he's, he misses maybe two of the next three, I'll say pass it on to Jao Felix, Jorginho, or like you said, even one of the, one of the defenders, uh, yeah. uh, Reese James, uh, Ben Chilwell, a player like that, that just will place it in a corner. Yeah, I think I think that those 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 sort of calling the bluff of the goalkeeper penalties are just not for me. And I think if I remember back end of Jorginho's time at Chelsea, I think the goalkeepers wised up to it and just stood on the line and waited for him to kick the ball. And... Eventually, Fabianski, Fabianski against West Ham. Yeah, West yeah, Ham yeah. Um, last April. That probably the worst penalty I've ever seen taken at Stamford yeah, Bridge yeah. because he so called it, the bluff. It does happen. It does yeah. happen. You know, the goalkeepers wise up to it, and they'll just they'll call your they'll double bluff you, and they'll make sure that you kick the ball first. So we just have to be careful. Um, and obviously, Graham Potter said, and I think in the press conference, you know, the, the players have been practicing penalties all week. Um, but I looked at the squad. So I remember looking at the lineup and thinking, if this just go, if it goes through to penalties, I, I just don't know who we're gonna. Who's our penalty takers? You know, you maybe look at Fernand, uh, Enzo Fernandez. You maybe look at Reese James. Obviously, Kai Havertz would have had one. Um, maybe Kovacic, maybe Ben Chilwell. But you look at Wesley Fofana. You look at Kulabali, Kukurea. 
you know, Sterling, I remember he, I'm sure he, he, he ducked out of one in the Euros. I don't think he took one in the Euros, if I, if I recall. Um, and I, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen Raheem Sterling take a penalty in my life, to be fair. But who's up? You know, if, if you know, we're talking, we'll talk about it in a minute. But if we go through to the quarterfinals and we end up in penalties, we haven't really got any penalty takers that are convincing, I don't think, have we? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking back at, we had, we had a fair few penalty shootouts last season, then FA Cup, League Cup, uh, Super Cup, Club yeah. World Cup. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, if I remember some of the penalty takers, I think Asby, Asby never shies away from a penalty. Mm. Um, George um, is no longer here. Uh, Mason Mount is another one. He obviously wasn't in the match day squad because he was suspended. Hasn't but he's taken a record though, Matt. Has he, yeah, it's been a bit hit and miss. Yeah. It's been a bit hit and miss, I agree. And I remember even he had to take one. He, had, he, he missed one against Norwich, I remember last season, then had to retake, had to retake it and scored it. a retake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his, his record's not the best. Um, like you said, I think he might have missed the one in the FA Cup final against Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, other penalty, oh, I always say just give it to the centre-backs. I think Silva... <laughs> just, I remember, just put their foot for it. Yeah. <laughs> Rudiger and Silva, I think in the FA Cup and League Cup finals against Liverpool, they just like slotted it in right in the middle. They almost don't yeah. really feel the nerves because maybe they just want to just put it with power and conviction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, give it to the centre-backs. I'm sure Koulibaly would blast it in the roof of the net. Um, yeah. But yeah, but you're right. In terms of natural kind of penalty takers, we maybe Bar, maybe Havertz, Mount, Enzo. I don't know if he used to take them for Benfica, but we don't really have a natural penalty taker. You're right. It's a bit of a worry um, going into sort of quarterfinals and not having someone that we can heavily rely on. But um, I just want to, before we round up on Dortmund, I, I want to talk about Kepa, who for me was... Arguably, I know Kukure, I ended up with, with man of the match, but Kukure, um, Kepa was outstanding. I mean, for that free kick, I think it was Marco Royce free kick. Um, what a save, because that's going in. I mean, that's completely going into the bottom corner of the net. And he pulled off a couple of saves. He wasn't very, very busy, but when he was at, you know, when he, when he was called upon, he was, you know, dare I say, world class, but he was definitely you know, showing his worth in terms of what we paid for him and, and putting in a good shift. And it's good to see the resurgence of him. I put out a tweet yesterday to say, you know, he's one of the, the only goalkeepers um, with more than 50%, um, you know, saves in, in not just the Champions League, but in the Premier League 80%, as well. 80%. 80%, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's even higher. So um, he seems like he's found his place as number one choice at Chelsea. Now, obviously, Mendy's out injured and Bettinelli's always going to be the understudy, but, and Selena's still... I've been playing for the development squad, but in terms of Kepa, he seems like he's he's got himself that number one spot in, in Graham Potter's mind now. Do, do, do you think that's the, the correct choice or do you think we need to see what Mendy can do when he comes back from injury? I mean, it'd be very hard to drop Kepa now after all these performances. And I've always said that Kepa trumps um, Mendy when it comes to you know having the ball at his feet. He looks a lot more comfortable with the ball at his feet. His, his clearances are a lot more comfortable. He's, he's happy to play out from the back. And he looks like you know, a lot of our kind of plays, they start with Kepa, they go out to one of the centre-backs, to the wing-backs, to the midfielders, and then we somehow we, we try to penetrate into the opponent's box. But like you said, two fantastic saves on the night to, to save from um, the Marco Royce free kick. And there was another one in the second half where he puts a really solid kind of um, handout, but not only to save it, but to just push it out of any kind of danger area. I think that's what's really impressive as a keeper because in that first Lampard season, where he received a lot of criticism. I remember his just he was getting hands to the these these type of 
shots, but it was just kind of like trickling in afterwards. So it was almost like, I don't know what he's done with his wrists, but they seem a lot more, they're not made of glass anymore. They're a lot more powerful. Um, so yeah, um, like you said, he's playing with a lot more confidence, a lot more conviction and Chelsea fans a year or two ago when they would see Kepa in a starting 11, they kind of, you know, bite their tongue thinking, shoot, you know, where's the, where's the mistake going to happen from? Um, but now when we see Kepa, we know what we're getting and that's almost a clean sheet. That's a, that's a lot more confidence, um, and to get him the armband as well. And this happened twice now yep. against um, Leeds and against um, uh, against uh, Dortmund on Tuesday shows that he's a leader now. He is a leader. And I see his body language, you know, the way he talks to players between when the ball's out of play at full time, the, the passion he shows to the fans as well, because I was in the shed, so I was right behind his goal for yep. when um, the full-time whistle went and he just turned around to the fans and just roared towards us like that. That's what we want to see. We want to see leaders, players that are passionate. So, mm. um, yeah, I'm all for Kepa staying in the starting line, uh, lineup, but it will be a bit of a headache for um, Graham Potter when Mendy is back fit um, um, because he's a pl- uh, player that's used to playing first-team football now. He won us the Champions League. So, yeah, um, it's going to be tricky uh, having to maybe um, decide what to do in the summer. Yeah, it's, a, it's another brilliant headache for uh, for Graham Potter to have um, the luxury of having to choose two relatively quality goalkeepers. But just at the end of the game, um, it almost boiled over a couple of times. I think there was a couple of occasions where I thought Conor Gallagher was the headless chicken Conor Gallagher that we know he can be at times as well, but he actually composed himself. But there was a, a moment between uh, Wolf and, and Chilwell at the end of the game and there was a, a very bad challenge, to be fair, from Jude Bellingham on Reese James, which I initially thought was worse than it looked. But on, on reflection, obviously, Reese James got up and carried on. But And then there was a bit of afters with um, with Jude Bellingham and I think Cucurea after the game as well. Um, he just seemed to be bubbling over as that game, you know, going to like the last, you know, 10, five minutes of the game and then obviously into stoppage time. But, um, I mean, that was, I like that. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are. I like the fact that Chilwell was was getting under the skin of some of the players and, you know, Reese James was was getting stuck in still, you know, um, who was brilliant on the night, but he was still getting stuck in and making sure we, we won the ball. Um, we were first to the ball. I like that. You know, I love that sort of shithousery that we like to call it. And even Kepra, I think at one point got books because he wanted, he wanted to take the free kick outside of the box, even though the free kick was inside the box. And it was just those little things that mentally uh, gets under players' skins and it gets into their mind and it can just affect their game somehow. And I think that we, we've done that well, well executed. But um, what was your thoughts on Bellingham? Because I think he was one of those players that was always expected to come into the team for Dortmund and, you know, be wonderful and do something creative and maybe score a brilliant goal. And like you said, he missed a, a sitter um, in, in the game. But what was your thoughts on him overall? And after, uh, did, afterwards as well, I didn't really like that from him in terms of, you know, getting the squaring up to, to Kukurea. What, what, what did you think of that? I thought over the two legs, he was relatively poor, if I'm completely honest. Um, I'm a big Bellingham fan. I'm a huge Bellingham fan, especially after the World Cup. I thought he was one of England's best players at the World Cup. But over the two legs um, in his Champions League round of 16 tie, I don't think I saw enough of Bellingham to think, OK, this is a £120 million player. Um, I still, obviously, we still have to remember he is very, very young and he is a fantastic player. He's still at Dortmund. He's learning. He's the captain of Dortmund. Um, but in that, especially in that second leg, I thought I saw a lot of Jude Bellingham that made me think, yeah, he's he's lost his cool, he's lost his head. I mean, I'm sure the the game got to his head. You know, fact Chelsea were two 0 up, he missed a sitter. Um, I'm sure that challenge he did on Reese James, he's not doing that challenge if Dortmund are winning or if um, yeah. it's you know maybe a, any other game than a Champions League round of 16. But yeah, he lost his his his, his cool a bit, and um, at full time, I think he got in a bit of a scuffle with um, Cucurella. Credit to Cucurella, he didn't really 
you know, fight back or argue back. And I think Enzo Fernandez even stepped in, which I agree. I like that bit of fire, that bit of energy, that bit of shithousery. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think Bellingham, it wasn't his night and his post-match um, interview afterwards where he, he mentioned how poor the referee decisions were about, you know, the penalty being retaken. Now he doesn't understand all of those that rule and why it was retaken. Um, I think it goes to show that it was just not his night and he was very frustrated and things boiled over for him. But still, overall, a fantastic player. And I think eventually he will leave Dortmund and whichever club um, gets him is very, very lucky to have him as a player. Sounds like he's going to be Liverpool or Real Madrid, but we'll, we'll see. Could be Chelsea, you never know. Um yeah, but yeah, just to round off with Dortmund and brilliant atmosphere at the end as well. I mean, obviously with the, the argy-bargies going on, but to see Graham Potter with the, the I don't know, the belief that he can probably go on into the Leicester game and get something out of it and just seeing that unity from the team was was brilliant at the end as well. And just to just to, to walk off knowing that we've, we've achieved what we set out to do in the first place was, was brilliant as well. And like I said, you know, he definitely got those subs right for me personally on, on the night. So, you know, credit to Graham Potter, credit to the players, credit to everyone that was there as well that was making the, the 12th man be known because um, the Dortmund fans were, were noisy. You know, they were letting off their their smoke bombs and everything else at the, before kickoff and throughout the game they had the drum going. So, you know, it was it was definitely a hostile night in terms of both sets of fans. But, you know, on, on, on reflection, I think we, we came out on top of that as well. But let's talk about the quarterfinals because there's still some decent teams in there. Um, PSG went out yesterday, surprisingly. Um, obviously, Spurs is Spurs the bottle jobs. You know, did we do? We knew they were going to go out. <laughs> um, but there's still some really good teams in there, and I think I sent you something yesterday, which um, one of our accounts that we follow on Twitter sort of put up. And, and um, I mean, ideally, like we said, if we can avoid Napoli, maybe we get you know a, a, um, a Benfica. In the, in the next round or I think I think the other one was Inter Milan and like you said one of the other uh, you know AC Milan as well but who would you like to see get Chelsea get in the next round who would you like to to see us get in? and maybe in terms of trying to get to the game as well not just in terms of how we're going to play but you know get into one of the games away in Europe yeah well we obviously don't know our, our kind of full list of opponents because there's still four rounds of um fixtures um next week Tuesday Wednesday um, but from a selfish point of view it's April you'd love to go travel as a Chelsea fan to maybe somewhere that's sunny Lisbon um, I'm trying to think who else is in there um, just, just for the warning though, my cousin's there now and it's raining it's rained every day uh, uh, it's, I think it's, it's raining <laughs> all over Europe at the moment but, but yeah again if I'm going from a selfish point of view Napoli as well it's a crazy football city I know their fans are quite hostile and can be relatively violent but, but yeah I'd rather avoid them though given how um you know, good they've been this season and probably the most informed team in Europe at the moment as well. I think they only lost their first game of the season against Lazio last weekend. Um, I think there's no easy games, if I'm completely honest. Even Benfica and Inter Milan, maybe on paper, is probably our easiest fixtures or if um, Leipzig were to progress against um, Manchester City. But even Benfica, they're, good. they're a good team. Yeah, they're yeah. a very, very good team. You look at them, how they, they played them, how they, they got past Club Bruges so easily and that's not, without having lost Enzo Fernandez on deadline day of, um, of January. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I'd love to, to go to, um, to, to Lisbon, the uh, Estadio de, de Luz. Um, I've been there. It's a nice stadium as well. San Siro as well, uh, into Milan or AC Milan. Um, obviously Porto is still, still in the tie. They've, they've got yeah. AC Milan, um, into Milan next week, uh, revisit to the Estadio de Drago as well. Would it be quite special for Chelsea fans? So yeah, a trip to Italy or a trip to, um, to, to Portugal um, that would be my answer how about yours I think I'm the same I think obviously the only other option I think and 
this is if they get through, which they should. This is the um, Real Madrid scenario. Um, Three years in a row of Real Madrid wouldn't be nice. Yeah, exactly, but exactly. And I think they, I think they are beatable. I look at them; they are beatable. Um, I'd be very surprised um, if Liverpool, and I don't know how it works in the quarterfinals, but I don't, I don't know if Liverpool will be able to overturn that deficit that they've they've got to overturn. Um, to go through so I think maybe Real Madrid but like you you know Napoli would be a brilliant one it's a, it's a, it's a, again bucket list sort of stuff very similar to to Dortmund that he was lucky to get to but um, yeah you know bucket list stuff in terms of Napoli but yeah you know Porto would be another good one I think as well that's from a travelling and, and and obviously playing them is, is, is more likely you want to try and avoid a Napoli I think you know you don't want to play them in the courts you want to try and get as far as you can I think they're for me personally I think they're the ones that we have to worry about in terms of winning the Champions League. Bayern Munich as well. I mean, they they played um, they played some good football, but I think Napoli are the ones for me. I think they're the ones that we have to avoid. Um, just based on what you said, you know, had a really good run in Serie A, and you know they're playing some really good football. So I want to try and avoid them, but I want to get there as well. Yeah, and they also feel like this Napoli side. They're playing like they've got nothing to lose. Yeah, you know, the I can't say his name. That Georgian chap, um, Kavaram. Donna. I think that's why they nickname him because um, he's yeah. playing like Maradona at the moment. Um, you know, it's his first season in Europe and he's playing out of his skin. A brilliant player. They've got um, uh, Lozano as well. They've um, they've got some brilliant footballers. Anguissa, who was who was a bit, bit you know didn't do much at Fulham, and now he's performing really well. So yeah, like I think they've got nothing to lose. And top of the league in Serie A, they can maybe rest a few players in the Serie A and focus on the Champions League as well. So I'd have to agree with you that a team to avoid, maybe alongside Bayern Munich and Manchester City. City not too not too fast. <laughs> not in Europe anyway. I mean they they play slightly different in Europe, but yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. But um it's gonna be interesting. I don't know when the, the draw is. We tried I tried to ask you this yes. I think it'd be I think Friday. It'd be a week Friday. Next, fr- fr- next Friday, eleven AM. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's a week Friday. So um anyone who's listening, make sure you're tuned in. Uh we'll probably try and do a live draw for that as well. Um if we can and, and hopefully get a nice decent draw for the quarterfinals. But let's switch it back to the Premier League. Massive, massive, massive game coming up. I always say must win. This is not a must win. This is just let's continue with the progression. I think we're in that stage now. It's not a must win, but let's continue with the progression. Uh, Leicester away, King Power Stadium, three o'clock Saturday. Um, yeah, I mean, give me your thoughts on that. It's 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 a game that I would expect us to win, but what, what's your thoughts going into it? Yeah, likewise. A game you'd expect us to win given the kind of form we've shown in the last two games. And I think Leicester's last um, game, they lost 1-0 to Southampton. And they've been really inconsistent with their form this season. We've been there before, though. We've been there, we have, yeah. (laughs) I I like to put that, even though it was only a few weeks ago, I feel like that's a different (laughs) chapter of Chelsea this season. Um, We've turned that page. Um, But yeah, very inconsistent Leicester team this season. They started off really poorly. I think maybe around Christmas time, they showed a bit of form, um, which maybe um, saved Brendan Rodgers' job. But I'm remembering back at that reverse fixture. Back in August, we went down to 10 men quite early on. I think Gallagher got two yellows yeah, and somehow we managed to get a win 2-1 so I think the fact that Leicester can even beat us with 10 men or get anything out of the game with 10 um, playing a team with 10 men goes to show how poor they were but I think they've improved since then uh, Madison obviously a fantastic footballer um, they, they, they look relatively solid defensively but like you said I think if we we need to just continue that form um, and continue that momentum that we showed and I think if the players played anywhere near to the level that they did against Dortmund then I think it should be a win and I really hope it's a win. But, you know, with Chelsea, it's never that straightforward. So um, we don't really know for sure. But 
um, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting game. 3 p.m. kickoff Saturday, so going to have to find a way to watch it. That might not be exactly legal. Let's put it like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, I know all about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I feel like um, first time in a while that I'm looking forward to a game now that we showed a bit of form, um, form and momentum. And um, going to be interesting to see the lineup as well because obviously yep. Cucurella. I think performed really well. Badjashil obviously is not cup tight. I'm not. Um, he's in. A, he's able to be selected for this one, so he'll he can feature. Um, you start to think maybe do you start maybe resting a few players now going into this kind of pivotal part of the season. I think we might have a couple. I think it's, there might be an international break coming up. Actually, I'm maybe wrong. I, no, I looked yesterday because I, I I think we've got one maybe at the end of March. I yeah, think the, the only one I can find is end of March. I think it's that. So we've got Ever- Everton on the 18th, and then there's a, a break then until the first okay. of April. So I'd imagine it'd be the the, the 30th, maybe that weekend. Um, yeah, you can't you can't rest players if it's a must win and you want to you know you want to play your best team but I think it's the substitutions that are going to be quite critical as well because I think it's going to yeah. be a tight margin it might be a 1-0 a 2-1 that type of scoreline and the substitutes could make a difference so I think um, we're going to have to see Dortmund style subs and not the ones we saw against um, against Leeds that's for sure yeah, I, I I mean I looked last night at our record at, at, against Leicester and it's I mean it's not the best it's not the best at Leicester um, I don't think we've won there um, I'm we just going to try and pull it last up. Season we won last season three 0 I, I believe, but I think before then it was yeah, quite hit and miss. Before then it's, it's been yeah. draws and losses, so we've not had the best, the best, the best record yeah. there. I think it um, was the defeat last season. The season before that was the nail in the coffin for Frank yeah, Lampard. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was. So I think we've not had the best record there. And um, going into this game, I'm going in with a lot of positivity. I'm going in with the idea that we can, you know, off the back of that one nil scrappy Leeds win, you know, really brilliant performance against Dortmund. Um, I'd have to go out on a whim and say that I wouldn't change the lineup. I would keep the lineup exactly how it was against Dortmund. I, I get your point in terms of injuries, but I think that's a luxury of having five subs now. I think that's a luxury of being able to rotate the squad, you know, but I think one of the things that I'm hoping Graham Potter does over the next, you know, three, four months or whatever, how long's left in the Premier League is to get some consistency, get something, get some cohesion amongst this team now and, and get the team playing well. And I think you're only going to get that if you're playing the same players week in, week out and getting them to to gel, blend, understand each other, read the game together. Um, you're only going to get that if they're playing regular football together. And if you keep swapping and changing, it's never going to happen. So I think it's a bit harsh on Badia Shield because obviously he hasn't played in the Champions League. He's not registered. But I think if we stick with that back three of Koulibaly, Kukurea and... Um, I've missed one out there. Fafana, of course. Um, if we stick with those three... And use the same. So I would use exactly the same squad as we did. He, even with Kai Havertz, we, we moan about him. But I think if we're going to try and use him for the rest of this season as a false nine, as a striker, whatever you want to call him, he has to be in the team. We have to make sure that he's got the same players that he's around. You know, Sterling and Jao Felix has to be those two um, for me personally. We have to then rotate the squad, as you said, with the subs, with Madweki, with Modric, with um, you know, and Golo Kante is going to have to come back in at some point and get a couple of minutes under his belt for the next, you know, two or three months. But, um, you know, those... Pulisic and Mount. Pulisic and Mount. Pulisic and Mount. Another one. Yeah, so we've got... We've got... And this goes back to my point where I kind of understand what Graham Potter means about having to train all these players and he's got too many players to train. I get it as slightly because how are you supposed to do something tactically, you know, prep for a match day if you've got so many players, you have to leave certain players out and they have to go and train elsewhere. I do get that to an extent, but um, me personally, I would keep the same squad that we played with Dortmund 
Um, I thought it worked well. And I think you're right as well. I think the subs have to be, you know, see the game out very much like we did at Dortmund. If we won nil up, we'll two nil up against Leicester, see the game out, bring on, you know, your Zacharias, bring on someone who can just hold that ball in midfield for you and, and just slow the pace of the game down. But um, it's going to be interesting as always. You know, I think it, de- it depends. Um, part of me thinks Potter will switch things up again. I hope he doesn't. But um in terms of a prediction, in terms of predicted lineup, what, what what would you change? What would you what would you go with, and what would your predicted score be as well? It's a hard it's a hard predicted lineup because, like you said, I feel like Cucurella deserves to stay in the in the eleven, but at the same time, Badjashil also deserves to be there. Um, so it's whether maybe you rest one or you you switch Cucurella to left wing back. But then again, Chilwell has been so good. Whether you rest Brees James because I know that he was a doubt for the Dortmund game with a tight hamstring, and you bring back Loftus Cheek at right wing back. But I think I'm going to have to agree with what you said and just play the same lineup that played on Tuesday against um, Dortmund. And I think that we need a bit more consistency with our lineups as well um, this season. And Graham Potter to maybe have a favoured 11, which we haven't really seen this season. Um, and that's why I think the subs are going to be really important. I think I'm going to go with the same lineup that played against Dortmund, but I want to see subs that are more kind of, that are a bit more react. That are, that kind of come into play with the game more. Because we saw against Tottenham, we were 2-0 down. And it was only in the 80th minute that we brought Aubameyang on when we needed maybe goals. I don't want to wait until the 80th minute if we need a goal to make, make a change. We need to be seeing that maybe at half-time or even five minutes after the break. Um, so yeah, I think substitutions would be really key. And like I also mentioned, Kante, Pulisic, Mount, they're all ready to play yeah. now. So I think um, the five subs, if you can use all five of them, they're going to be key to Saturday's game. I agree. Uh, I know you avoided the. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I know you avoided the uh, the, the scoreline prediction. Um, I'll, let I'll, go I'll let you go first. I'll let you go first. I think, I think two 0 I'm going to go two 0 again. I think we we we've got if we play the same lineup. I think we've got everything within us to to carry on that momentum from Dortmund going into this game and securing the three points and putting in a really good performance. I think more so the result and the three points. I want to see a good performance. And that's what I was crying out for when we went for that bad run of games. I want to see some good back-to-back consistent performances where we look like we're going to win. If we lose and we've, we've left everything out on the pitch, I'm not too fussed because you can't win every single game. But in terms of the performance, I'm going to go 2-0. Um, goal scorers, I'm not going to do because I you know pick a name out of a hat sort of situation. Um, you know, who, who's going to score, we don't know. But I think it's going to be 2-0. And I think we're going to play really well. I really do. I think this will be the turning point in our season. Over to you. Yeah. <laughs> I think now that we broke the curse, we scored two goals for the first time in the, of the calendar year. I think we'll do it again. But I also can see Leicester getting a goal. We have to remember we're playing away from home. Um, our last two clean sheets, obviously they were... Um, they were at Stamford Bridge, but we're playing at the King Power now. So things will be slightly different, but I think it'll be 2-1 Chelsea. I don't like being confident because every time I'm confident, we end up losing. But yeah, I think given given a dormant performance and how well we played, um, I think I'm entitled to be confident. So let's go 2-1. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a good, it's a good, uh, either way, it's three points. Let's put it like that. It's three points, isn't it? So um, just before we wrap up, um, quickly want to talk about strikers because you put out a tweet this morning. Um, and I think I spoke about it on one of the, the videos that we did earlier this week, but Tammy Abraham, buyback clause, 70 million. Give me your thoughts, because I'm uh, the thought of 70 million for Tammy Abraham stinks of Romelu Lukaku part two, if I'm honest. But give me your thoughts on, on Tammy potentially returning as our number nine for next season. I think when we saw Tammy, let's be completely honest, Chelsea fans weren't that upset because we saw he was he was not good enough to be our first choice number nine. 
and he wanted to yeah. be our first choice number nine. And at times he would start, he would, he wasn't clinical enough. He would, he was very clumsy on the ball. He'd slip a lot. And sure, he had a brilliant first season under Mourinho at Roma, but this season, I don't think he scored that many. And no. for 70 million, 70 million, he's not worth 70 million. I think he's worth max maybe 40 or 35. Um, and, a <laughs> but, and a push exactly and I think uh, I know we're coming, always coming, we're going to have to wrap up soon but there's so many other better options out there we're getting Nkuku possibly um, I don't know if that's completely 100% yet but Gonzalo Ramos in the, yeah. at Benfica he's having a brilliant season got a hat-trick at the World Cup um, Ivan Tony's another one I don't know what's going to happen with his ban Glad you brought the him betting up. ban but yeah there's some other options I think that are more kind of ready to fill in straight away because I still feel Tammy Abraham He's, not, he's no longer a youngster, but he still feels very raw and he still feels very clumsy. And I think, sure, he's done well out in Serie A, but Serie A is a bit of an easier league than Premier League, let's be honest. Mm. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't work for him when he came. And, you know, I know he had a really good spell on the front Lampard and he was sort of put out of the team after that. But I just, for 70 million, I'll be honest, I wanna, I'll, I'll go and give that money to Brentford, go and get me Ivan Tony. Um, I love Ivan Tony. I think he's a brilliant striker and I think he needs that step up. And I do, and, you know, I spoke to a couple of other people offline and, you know, what about the band? But I mean, you know, couple, I looked this morning, there was a couple of players, I think for Boston United, who had done similar sort of um, breaches in terms of numbers. I think it's like 400 and something or 500. They only got a couple couple of months banned. The worst one was Joey Barton, who was in the thousands. And he got, I think he got like a two-year ban, but he got it appealed and got it down to 13 months. Now, if Ivan Tony's out, and I think that the hearings next month or potentially might be next month. So if they ban him from April and he's out for say, let's say six months, Let's say he gets a six-month ban. It's like, it's like getting a striker in January. It's like getting a, a, a December, January, a new signing in December. It's, I would take the hit for the first part of the season, play Kai Havertz, play Cuckoo if we get him, play Zhao Felix if we keep him for the first part Bro, of the season. Broja. Broja will be back yeah. as well. I'd, 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 take the, I'd take a massive gamble on, I mean, no pun intended, but I'd take a massive gamble on Ivan Tony. <laughs> and um, I'd go with him because he's a proven striker. He knows the Premier League. He knows where the back of the net is. He can take penalties. He's strong. He holds up the ball well. He makes good runs. He can take on defenders. I mean, he, for me, 70 million would be Ivan Tony, in my opinion. Someone that knows the Premier League very well. So, yeah. Uh, but although I think there was a buyback clause. I think he's at Newcastle. Didn't they get him from Newcastle? Am I might have yeah, got that wrong. I think, but... I think he, was, he went, was it Peterborough before Brentford? But before that, I think he was Newcastle. I'm sure they've got a buyback in there, but I'll yeah. have to double check that. Don't quote me. But Ivan Tony's my my 70 million. And anyone else who thinks Tamir Abraham, please, please don't. Don't wish it upon us, please. Yeah, that's a good way to end the podcast. Um, for anyone who's listening, please go and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you do all of that stuff. Make sure you like, share, comment, all of that stuff. Make sure you hit the link tree link in the description as well. It takes to all our previous episodes and all the social accounts as well. So make sure you give those a follow. Theo, as always, the fairy procession for Chelsea. It's been a good one. It's been a good one this week. We haven't had to... Well, it wasn't really a therapy session, if I'm honest. It was more of a, yeah, it's a, a smiley, kind of a... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a good, you can have good or bad ones, but this one's true, been a good true. one. true. Um, but yeah, until next time, this has been episode 85 from the shed. And until next time, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Take care.